Hey, turn in your Bibles this morning to Acts chapter 2, please. We are going to read beginning in verse 1. And look at this wonderful topic of the baptism of the Holy Spirit. Now when the day of Pentecost had fully come, they were all with one accord in one place, and suddenly there came a sound from heaven as of a rushing mighty wind, and it filled the whole house where they were sitting. Then there appeared to them divided tongues as of fire, and one sat upon each of them. And they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak with other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. Now there were dwelling in Jerusalem Jews, devout men from every nation under heaven. And when this sound occurred, the multitude came together and were confused because everyone heard them speaking in his own language. Then when uh, then they were all amazed and marveled, saying to one another, Look, are not all these who speak Galileans? And how is it that we hear each in our own language in which we were born? Parthians and Medes and Elamites, those dwelling in Mesopotamia, Judea and Cappadocia, Pontus and Asia, Phrygia and Pamphylia, Egypt and the parts of Libya, adjoining Cyrene, visitors from Rome, both Jews and proselytes, Cretans and Arabs, we hear them speaking in our own tongues the wonderful works of God. So they were all amazed and perplexed, saying to one another, whatever could this mean? Others, mocking, said, they are full of new wine. But Peter, standing up with the eleven, raised his voice and said to them, men of Judea and all who dwell in Jerusalem, let this be known to you and heed my words. For these are not drunk, as you suppose, since it is only the third hour of the day. This is what was spoken by the prophet Joel, and it shall come to pass. In the last days, says God, that I will pour out of my spirit on all flesh. Your sons and your daughters shall prophesy. Your young men shall see visions. Your old men shall dream dreams. And on my men servants and on my maid servants, I will pour out my spirit in those days and they shall prophesy. I will show wonders in heaven above and signs in the earth beneath, blood and fire and vapor of smoke. The sun shall be turned into darkness and the moon into blood before the coming of the great and notable day of the Lord, and it shall come to pass that whoever calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved. So Lord, would you add your blessing to the reading of your word, and would you touch us as we study it, Lord? Would you minister to us? Would you lead us and guide us into all truth as you promised that you would? In Jesus' name, amen. We've been going through this series on the Holy Spirit, something we've never done before. We usually just teach, of course, expositionally, verse by verse, chapter by chapter through the Bible. But as we mentioned, this has been something that's been on our heart to clarify and to speak about and So we've already had two weeks. We've talked about who is the Holy Spirit a couple of weeks ago, his deity and his personality. And then last week we talked about the role and the work of the Holy Spirit, both in the world and in the church. And today we've come to this topic, the subject of the baptism of the Holy Spirit. And certainly the baptism of the Holy Spirit is a hotly contested 
topic and idea among the church. In fact, this topic, in my opinion, more than any other, has divided the church. And it has created denominations. And now denominations are often created just around theological distinctives and points of interpretation. But this is one of the biggies that has long divided the church because of the views of what is called cessationism, saying that the work of the Spirit that we just read about in the book of Acts was solely destined for the day of Pentecost and for the early first century believers. And then they go on to say that around the close of the first century, as the scriptures were coming together and what we now have as the New Testament was, was being completed, that there was no longer a need for the Holy Spirit to work in the way that he worked here in these early days of the church because there was no New Testament. There was only the, New, the Old Testament. And so then they, they come to the issue of the gifts of the Holy Spirit, and they say some of the gifts are for today, and some of the gifts are not for today. And that is what we call or label with the term cessationism. And so the, the disagreement over which gifts are for today and which ones are not for today is also up for debate. So it's all kind of meshed together and it all sort of starts with this idea of the topic of the baptism of the Holy Spirit. And the question really is, was that just for that period of time and into the first century or, or is that still valid for us today. And I'm just going to let the cat out of the bag up front. I'm going to tell you the conclusion right up front. I believe it is for today to give you a, a personal word of testimony. I was raised in a, in a church tradition that did not believe in the gifts of the Holy Spirit being for today, and they believed in that cessationist viewpoint, although which gifts were for today and which ones weren't, I never truly understood. But I know that what that led me to for most of my Christian life, at least well into my 20s, was what I would say a lack of joy in my life as a believer. I had the scriptures and I had that understanding that I was indwelt by the Holy Spirit. And certainly we are all indwelt by the Holy Spirit if we know Christ. But there was no joy, there was no power in my life, there was no ability to keep the commands of God, to follow the love of Christ. And, you know, how does the Holy Spirit work with us and influence us? And, and how does he speak to us? How does he lead and guide us into all truth? I mean, we believed in the tradition I grew up in that that, that promise was for us. But Jesus gave it to his disciples. So there were all of these uh, interpretive difficulties. And certainly when we get to the, the issue or the topic of hermeneutics, which is the fancy word for how do we interpret the scriptures, sometimes it becomes a challenge for us. How do we interpret the scriptures? What method or approach do we use? Because this is really what gets people in trouble. They have inconsistent views on how we uh, interpret the scriptures. So at, at a very high level, uh, we believe, and most evangelicals believe, that there is this uh, thing called the, uh, just the traditional view that the scriptures say what they say and they teach what they teach. It's called the literal, historical, grammatical approach. And that means we allow for the normal use of language. So when the language is used that's symbolic or when metaphors are used, we understand it in that context. And when prophetic language uh, in the, the books of the prophets or in the book of Revelation that we just studied as a church at, toward the end of last year speaks 
in, uh, in flowery language, then we understand those word pictures that are given to us in that context. And when we see words like and as, we understand that those are comparison words. Those are called simile, which we all learned hopefully by eighth grade English. Um, and so those things are in the scriptures and we need to understand them as such. So there's the normal use of language that is there for us, but there's also the historical context. And that's what, in my opinion, really guides us and really safeguards us because every verse is in the context of a paragraph and every paragraph is in the context of a chapter and every chapter is in the context of a book of the Bible and every book of the Bible is in the context of a testament, old or new, and then each testament is in the context of the entirety of Scripture. And we operate with the principle, that uh, the understanding that the best uh, author or interpretation of Scripture is Scripture itself. And so we use other Scripture to guide us and to help us understand the Scriptures as we, we go through them. So with that in mind, let's sort of jump into some of the things. Some of this will be review, but as we go through it this morning, getting back to our passage in Acts, talking about this issue of the baptism of the Holy Spirit, we want to continue to build. And I hope you understand if you've been with us that these last two weeks have been building the foundation and hopefully this understanding of the person and the work and the role and the ministry of the person of the Holy Spirit. Jesus said to us in John chapter 14, we've already reviewed this, but we're going to do it again today. He said, if you love me, keep my commandments, and I will pray the Father, and he will give you another helper. That word helper is paraclete, one called alongside to help, and he may abide with you forever. The spirit of truth whom the world cannot receive, because it neither sees him nor knows him, but you know him, for he dwells with you and will be in you. These two prepositions are important. There's a third one coming up. But this first preposition, with, he dwells with you, is the word para, alongside. He, he's beside you. He's with you. And if you think of being with someone, being with a friend, you're para. You're alongside them. You're with them. But Jesus said, but you know him, for he dwells with you, and he will be in you. So this was a future promise to those disciples at that point in time that the Holy Spirit would come to indwell them, to live within them, inside them. And then in John 14, 26, he says, But the Helper, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, he will teach you all things and bring to your remembrance all things that I said to you. So the Spirit who indwells us will teach us all things, not just those disciples, but also us, if we understand it properly. And I believe that is the intent that Jesus had. And as we continue along, now I'm taking you somewhat chronologically through this, so I'm sort of building a case, if you will, for this. In John 15, beginning in verse 26, But when the Helper comes, whom I shall send to you from the Father, the Spirit of truth, who proceeds from the Father, he will testify of me. This is very important. We've been emphasizing this, that the Spirit of God would point to Jesus and that he would testify of Jesus. This is very important for us to understand as we talk about the baptism and the gifts of the Holy Spirit. And you also will bear witness because you have been with me from the beginning, of course, speaking to those disciples. But when the Holy Spirit comes to be not only with us, but then upon us, as he will tell us in a moment, 
he will testify of Jesus. And then he says, you also will bear witness. So we see a hint of the intent of Jesus giving the Holy Spirit that we would be given the power, the ability to be his witnesses. In John 16, verse 7, it says, Nevertheless, I tell you the truth. It is to your advantage that I go away. For if I do not go away, the helper will not come to you. But if I depart, I will send him to you. Then further on in John 16, However, when he, the spirit of truth, has come, he will guide you into all truth, not just those disciples, but us also. For he will not speak on his own authority, but whatever he hears, he will speak. And he will tell you things to come. And notice again, he will glorify me, for he will take of what is mine and declare it to you. So let's continue. In John chapter 20, Jesus speaking to his disciples there in the upper room. When he had said this, he showed them his hands and his side. And then the disciples were glad when they saw the Lord. So Jesus said to them again, peace to you, as the Father has sent me, so uh, rather I also send you. And when he had said this, he breathed on them and said to them, receive the Holy Spirit. Now, I don't know if you've ever read this, this is the only place this is mentioned, but it was at this point that the disciples were given the indwelling of the Holy Spirit. In case you've ever wondered, when did the disciples get saved? It was when Jesus breathed on them and said, Receive ye the Holy Spirit. And so they received the indwelling presence of the Holy Spirit at this point, and the baptism of the Spirit, which Jesus speaks of as a separate, distinct event, he said would come later. So let's continue on and just keep on with this. In Matthew 3... When Jesus came on the scene for his ministry, and John the baptizer was there by the Jordan, Jesus was approaching, and John was speaking of the one who would come after him, who was mightier than he, and he said, whose sandals I am not worthy to carry, and then he says, he will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and fire. So John himself prophesied the forerunner of Christ, saying, he will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and fire. In other words, the baptism that Jesus would bring would be next level, if you will, in today's language. It would, be the ne- it would be way better than what I'm doing. John was doing what? He brought the baptism of repentance from sins. But he said when Jesus comes, he's going to bring a baptism of the Holy Spirit and fire. The word baptize means to cover wholly, to immerse, to submerge, to make wet, to saturate, to wash, to bathe, to overwhelm. So we have this picture, of course, when we have water baptism, when someone comes to faith in Christ and we baptize them in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. This is what we do. We take them to the water and we dunk them. And this is what happens. And this is a picture of the new life in Christ, and that the old has passed away, and behold, all things are made new. And as they come up out of the baptismal waters, we say all things are made new in Christ as a part of what we do, and we borrow that the words to, to this process from Romans chapter 6, and it's the, the passage we always read when we baptize someone. But Jesus, it says, will baptize you with the Holy Spirit. Now look at these words again 
in relationship to the work that the Holy Spirit will do when he comes upon a believer to cover holy, to immerse, to submerge, to make wet, to saturate, to wash, to bathe, to overwhelm. And let me also point out something about baptism. When, when someone is baptism, and I assume if you uh, are a believer in Christ that you've been baptized, if not, we'll baptize you to make it a, official. But um, when you go through that process of bab- being baptized, you don't baptize yourself, right? Somebody else baptizes you. And this says that when the baptism of the Holy Spirit would come, who would be the baptizer? Jesus. He would do the baptizing. So this is a passive thing that Jesus does to us. Important point to keep in mind as we continue along here. Jesus, when he was teaching on the Lord's Prayer in Luke's account, said this, and and we know uh, this prayer in, in both Matthew and Luke's account, but Jesus said, So I say to you, ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you will find. Knock and it will be opened to you. For everyone who asks receives, and he who seeks finds. And to him who knocks it will be opened. If a son asks for bread from any father among you, will he give him a stone? Or if he asks for a fish, will he give him a serpent instead of a fish? Or if he asks for an egg, will he offer him a scorpion? If you then, being evil, know how to give good gifts to your father, excuse me, uh, know, know how to give good gifts to your children, excuse me, how much more will your heavenly father give the Holy Spirit, did you catch that little phrase there? To those who ask him. Very important. That also reminded me of the, the passage that James, where he said every good and every perfect gift, which is what Jesus was talking about there, that God gives good gifts, the Father gives good gifts. Every good and every perfect gift is from above and comes down from the Father of lights with whom there is no variation or shadow of turning. So again, Luke 9, the end of the Lord's Prayer, how much more will your heavenly Father give the Holy Spirit to those who ask him? So I want to remind you this morning of something very important that we need to understand that we need to ask the Lord. As we continue on toward the end of Luke's gospel, on that day that Jesus had met the two disciples on the road to Emmaus and he got back to Jerusalem and was there meeting with his disciples, It says that while they were there in that that little meeting, um, and he opened their understanding that they might comprehend the scriptures, then he said to them, thus it is written and thus it was necessary for the Christ to suffer and to rise from the dead the third day, and that repentance and omission of sins should be preached in his name to all nations, beginning at Jerusalem, and you are witnesses of these things. Behold, I send the promise of my Father, which is the Holy Spirit, upon you. But tarry in the city of Jerusalem until you are endued with power from on high. So this is a further speaking by Jesus to his disciples of the promise of the Father, which would be the coming upon them of the Holy Spirit. And he says that they should wait in Jerusalem until they would be endued with power from on high, and the word endued simply means to be clothed. And you can see the similarity, or by comparison, to the word baptized. So let's continue. And then in Acts chapter 1, 
We find that Jesus, of course, was there with his disciples in the upper room toward the end of his time before he ascended into heaven. And it says, being assembled together with them, he commanded them not to depart from Jerusalem, but to wait for the promise of the Father. Now, of course, the Holy Spirit was sent or came on the day of Pentecost in the fullness And so they had to wait for this to happen. This was a historic event. This was a one-time event in the sense of Jesus was sending the Holy Spirit into the world to be a part of the church in a way that had never been done before because the church was birthed on the day of Pentecost. And the difference with the church and any other, quote, religious institution, if we could use those terms, is simply this. The Holy Spirit's presence not only indwelling, but coming upon those who profess Christ would be the difference. And so he said, uh, which you have heard from me, the promise of the Father, for John truly baptized with water, but you shall be baptized with the Holy Spirit not many days from now. You see, this is the end of Jesus' ministry, and at the beginning, John prophesied and said, there's one coming after me, Jesus, who is mightier than me, and he will baptize you with the Holy Spirit, right? And here at the end of his ministry, Jesus, looking back to what John said, says, John truly baptized with water, but you shall be baptized with the Holy Spirit not many days from now. So it was coming for them. And a little further along, it says, therefore, when they had come together, they asked him, saying, Lord, will you at this time restore the kingdom to Israel? And he said, it is not for you to know the times or the seasons which the Father has put in his own authority, but you shall receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you shall be witnesses to me in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the end of the earth. Now, I hope that you're getting the picture that Jesus was painting, which is this. When the Holy Spirit came upon his disciples, they would be empowered for what purpose? To be his witnesses. Because Jesus had been telling us all along with all of these scriptures we've been reviewing in John 14 and John 15 and John 16, the Spirit points back to Jesus just as Jesus pointed back to the Father. And so the Holy Spirit would come to give them power to be his witnesses. And notice it says here, this is the second passage we've looked at, that says, when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. Now, earlier we looked at the passage that said, para alongside, he would be with you, and he would be in you. So previously, the relationship the Holy Spirit had with unbelievers and with, with people who had not yet believed was that para, that coming alongside And remember last week we looked at the work of the Holy Spirit being to convict the world concerning sin, righteousness, and judgment. And so that's that process of the Holy Spirit coming alongside and working in a person's life. And then we know after we receive Christ that he walks with us from day to day in the the person and the work of the Holy Spirit, but then that he would come and be in us as we come to faith in Christ and we repent and we believe on Christ and accept his finished work on the cross as uh, payment for our sins so that we might enter into the fullness of the forgiveness that he's promised us. But now he says, the Spirit comes upon you, and that word in Greek is epi, or with the breathing mark, hippi, and one of the you know, best definitions here is a primary preposition properly meaning superimposition. 
So again, I said it was passive, right? This is something the Lord does. That is over upon. Uh, Zodiades, uh, the Greek scholar, says to rest upon. So the idea here is that the Holy Spirit would come upon them and overwhelm them and rest upon them. So now that brings us to the passage that we've just looked at on the day of Pentecost that we read at the beginning of our time together today. So as we get into this passage and we read it, I've just highlighted to bring some things to our attention. Uh, So we just read this passage. But on the day of Pentecost, when they were all with one accord in one place, waiting as Jesus told them for the endowment of the power from on high, Suddenly from heaven, and this is the way the Holy Spirit came, uh, a sound from heaven, a mighty rushing wind, and it filled the whole house where they were sitting. And there appeared to them divided tongues as of fire, and one sat upon each of them. And so the Lord gave them a sign that they could look around at each other, and they, they saw this visual of some kind of a picture of a flame or a tongue of fire over the heads of their of their brothers and their sisters as they were sitting around that room. And they were all filled with the Holy Spirit. So notice there, it's interesting, the Lord came upon them. They were waiting, they were watching, they were asking, and the Lord came upon all of them. He didn't say, okay, I'll I'll come upon you, but not upon you. On that day when he came, he came upon all of them. They were all filled with the Holy Spirit. So it says he would come upon them. Now this is the first time we're seeing the use of this word filled. And from here forward in the Bible, we see the word filled used to speak of our relationship with the Holy Spirit. And they were all filled with the Holy Spirit. The Spirit came upon them. He filled them. He overflowed them and began to speak with other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. Now this this gift of tongues, as is described here, is what we understand to be other languages. Now there is later, which we'll get to when we go through the gifts of the Spirit in 1 Corinthians 14, a gift that you might hear some people described as um, a prayer language. And so there is a spiritual language apparently, a gift of tongues that is not understandable to human beings, but as Paul describes, it seems to be a gift that God gives for us to be able to use to communicate personally and intimately with the Lord. Or he gives to some of us. He doesn't give to all of us for some reason, but that's just the way he operates. But here on this day, as a sign when he came upon them, he gave them the gift of tongues, meaning they could speak in a language that they did not know. Now, I'm I'm pretty boring. I only know English. But if God gave me that gift and there was someone here today who maybe came in, let's take our Korean brothers and sisters, for example. I don't speak Korean. But what if one of them came in and they needed to hear a message and the Lord wanted me to give them that message, but they know, as it said of the disciples, it says they were Galileans and these were uneducated men and they knew that they only knew one language, which was the dialect that they spoke, that when the Holy Spirit came upon them, now all of a sudden they are speaking a perfect form of the language that these people needed to hear. So this is the gift, uh, or the expression of the gift, as, it, as the Holy Spirit came upon them on this day. And notice it says, everyone heard them speak in his own language, and they were all, all, they were all marveling. And notice what they heard in verse 11. We hear them speaking in our own tongues the wonderful works of God. 
Now, as we go through, we can't do this in its sort of comprehensive entirety because of time, but this is, this is your homework assignment. Read the rest of the book of Acts and see what happens when, when this gift is given to or comes upon people, and you'll see this is what happens. They, they, they speak in such a way that they are expressing glory or praise of the wonderful works of God. And the purpose of this is that they hear them speaking, and these people's attention are drawn to what? Jesus. That's the purpose. And as the Spirit comes upon them, and they speak in these tongues unknown to themselves, but known to the hearers, they speak the praise, the glory, the wonderful works of God, and the witness happens, and people are drawn to Christ. And Peter, as he's giving this sermon, says in the sermon, quoting the prophet Joel, saying, this is the day that the prophet Joel's prophecy is coming to be fulfilled. And it says, in the last days, says God, I'll pour out of my spirit on all flesh. And then he gives this incredible prophecy. Your sons and your daughters shall prophesy. Your young men shall see visions. Your old men shall see dreams. And on my men servants and my maid servants, I will pour out my spirit in those days. This is the coming upon. And they shall prophesy, and I will show wonders in heaven uh, and earth beneath, blood and fire and vapor of smoke, and the sun shall be turned into darkness and the moon into blood before the coming of the great and the awesome day of the Lord. So what is he saying here? He's saying this would happen as sort of an ushering in of a new era before what we understand to be the time of the tribulation, before that would happen. And so we already know now we're at 2,000 years since the clock started to tick when this happened. And so now, before the coming of the great and the awesome day of the Lord, and it shall come to pass that whoever calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved. And it seems to me what this passage is saying is this, when this gift comes, when this pouring out of the Spirit comes, when the coming upon of the Spirit comes to the disciples of Jesus. It shall come to pass that whoever calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved. It's the witness. It's the power to be his witnesses. This Jesus God has raised up. This is Peter speaking in this incredible sermon. Now, let me, let me point out something here about Peter. Before Peter had come to this day, and we read the Gospels, we sort of have this view, this image of Peter as sort of this bumbling idiot, right? Always putting his foot in his mouth. Good intentions, but always stumbling and always seem to say the wrong thing at the right time. But now, what do we see? We see a man, we see a person under the control of the Holy Spirit. Who is transformed? Who is a different person? Who can stand up with no preparation, no notes, and give the most perfect sermon ever given, and 3,000 people give their lives to Christ because of this sermon. That is a picture for you and I of what God can and will do with a life that is yielded to Him. Now, too many of us have self-image issues, right? We've been told bad things when we were kids. We were treated poorly. You know, we have no self-confidence, blah, 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 blah. And that's real, and I understand it, and it's true, and it's painful. But the Holy Spirit can change all that. 
you don't have to live in the shadow of who you were raised to be or who you became because of your upbringing. Your, the Holy Spirit can change that because he wants to give every disciple this gift, in my opinion, as I understand it. And this is not a weird thing. And I hope you see as we read this, and I, and I encourage you again as homework, read through the book of Acts. Just sit and read it. And see what God did with these people when he came upon them and when his spirit fell upon them. It was not weird. And if I accomplish nothing else today, I want you to understand this one thing about the work and the ministry and the power of the Holy Spirit. It's not weird. It's not some bizarre thing. It's not some crazy thing where people are acting strange. This was something that when the people heard it and saw it, it pointed to Jesus. Remember that? That's the important thing to remember here. So the gifts of the Spirit, as they are manifest and used in our lives, now Paul tells us as we go through our study in the gifts, which we're getting to in a couple of weeks, that the gifts were given to the church for the edification, the building up of the church, but the expression of the gifts, again, ultimately points back to Jesus. So the gifts are not for our personal use. The gifts are never for our personal gain. It's always for the edification of the church and to point people to Christ. And if you get nothing else out of this whole series, remember that because that will protect you, that will guide you as you see things out there in Christianity where people said, this is a moving of the Holy Spirit. And when we see people barking in the Spirit and doing weird stuff as has happened in the past, that's not the Holy Spirit. How do we know that? Because that's not what happened. And the Word of God is our guide. Okay? The Word of God is our guide. Therefore, being exalted to the right hand of God, having received from the Father the promise of the Holy Spirit, he poured out this, which you now see and hear. And then he's, he's continuing and he says, For the promise is to you and to your children and to all who are afar off, as many as the Lord our God will call. Who do you think that's speaking of? Gentiles? Yes. But future generations. Just like when Jesus prayed in his high priestly prayer in John 17, and he said, these and all those who would come to faith through their witness. This is speaking, in my opinion, and this is a pivotal verse for us, that this would be a gift, the promise, what promise? The promise of the Holy Spirit, as I understand it, is to you and to your children and to all who are afar off, as many as the Lord our God will call. I don't see anything in Scripture that indicates to me that says there will come a day or a time when this gift will cease and it won't operate in the way that it did in those days. Oh, we're getting some glitching here. There we go. So I, I see this and I understand this to mean that this is still an active gift for us today. So let's continue. So... As we move along now, we're going to move through the book of Acts. We, we've sort of come through the day of Pentecost, and I want to go through. I'll, I'll publish these, by the way. It's just like I did the ones last week, so if you weren't on the email list, let me know. Um, but I'm publishing these in a, in a Google Drive location that you can grab them. Um, so here in Acts 4 now, we're going through the book of Acts sort of chronologically, and I want you to see how the Holy Spirit has continued to work as we move from the day of Pentecost forward. 
So in Acts chapter 4, and this, it's important for you to read this to get the flow and the context, we, we find Peter, filled with the Holy Spirit, said to them, rulers of the people, so Peter's giving another sermon, and he's talking about Christ. And in verse 13, it says, now when they saw the boldness of Peter and John, another effect of being filled with, of, of having the Spirit come upon your life is, is boldness. Now, when they saw the boldness of Peter and John and perceived that they were uneducated and untrained men, they marveled and they realized, what? That they had been with Jesus. Wow, this is pointing back to Jesus again, isn't it? And seeing the man who had been healed, they could say nothing against it. So when the Holy Spirit works... It points to the Lord. These people, in the beginning, they wanted to glorify Peter and John when you read the story, and they said, whoa, 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 not us. It was the Lord. They pointed back to Christ. And then these people, looking at the man, looking at what happened, they said, we can't say anything against that. It was a witness unto the Lord. Now, they had been persecuted at this point, and so they're now praying, and it says, Now, Lord, look on their threats and grant to your servants that with all boldness they may speak your word. Just asking the Lord, just keep filling us, Lord. Give us the boldness to go do what we know we need to do. And by stretching out your hand to heal, and that signs and wonders may be done through the name of your holy servant, Jesus. And when they had prayed, the place where they were assembled together was shaken, and they were all filled. So let me make a point here and... You know, this is going to be a little cutesy, but I'll do it anyway. Refills are free with the Lord, okay? There's a coming upon, but you can be filled over and over and over. You know why? Because we leak. Amen to that? So we need to be filled over and over and over. So here's Peter and John. The place where they had filled, they were assembled together, was shaken, and they were all filled with the Holy Spirit, and they spoke the word of God with boldness. And with great power, power to be his witnesses, Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, to the uttermost parts, the apostles gave witness to the resurrection of the Lord Jesus, and great grace was upon them all. You're catching this, right? You're getting it, getting what's happening here? Acts 5. Uh, beginning of the chapter, Ananias and Sapphira, tragedy where they lied to the Holy Spirit. They tried to pretend to be something that they were not. So they are being accused, they're being persecuted by the teachers, by the religious leaders, saying, did we not strictly command you not to teach in this name? And look, you filled Jerusalem with your doctrine and intend to bring this man's blood upon us. Now what an accusation to have made against you that you've filled the city with the doctrine of Christ. Witness of the Holy Spirit. But Peter and the other apostles answered and said, we ought to obey God rather than men. Can I make the observation that the power of the Holy Spirit gives us the ability to do the right thing, to obey God rather than men? That's why we need to be filled over and over and over. The God of our fathers raised up Jesus, whom you murdered by hanging on a tree. Him, God, has exalted to his right hand to be prince and savior, to give repentance to Israel and forgiveness of sins. And we are his witnesses to these things. And so also is the Holy Spirit, 
whom God has given to those who obey him. Amen? Acts 6. We're now looking at the problem in the church. The Hellenistic ladies were not being served well. They were being neglected. And the apostles said, we need to appoint some men. From among you, seven men of good reputation and full of the Holy Spirit and wisdom who we may appoint over this business. It was a delicate matter in the church. It was a, a, certainly a political matter to say the least, but these, these people were being neglected. And remember, Jesus said that the world will know that you are my church, my believers, my disciples, by your love for one another. So love was being neglected. When, uh, serving these people in need was being neglected. And they said here, Uh, We need to have some people appointed so that we can continue to give ourselves to the ministry of the word and to prayer to do what God's called us to do. So you guys appoint from among you people who are full of the Holy Spirit. And then as they chose those men down in verse 5, he's describing and they chose Stephen, a man full of faith and of the Holy Spirit. So this evidently now starts to become a quality of leaders being filled with the Holy Spirit. And as, they, as we continue here, we find that Stephen, and after he had been serving in this capacity, now he's out witnessing. He's out with the power of the Holy Spirit ministering. And it says, and they were not able to resist the wisdom and the spirit by which he spoke. So to me, this removes all the pressure off of us. Pressure to perform, Pressure to be really good at apologetics. And by the way, I encourage that. Study that. Learn that. That's an important thing. But the Spirit of God enabled them to be apologists. And so they were not able to resist the wisdom and the Spirit, the Holy Spirit, by which he spoke. And notice down in verse 15, And all who sat in the council, looking steadfastly at him, saw his face as the face of an angel. God was so upon Stephen that not only were his words, words that, that carried weight, they had heaviness to them, but his very presence, his countenance was such that the Lord was using him to do what? To be a witness. In Acts chapter 8, when the apostles who were at Jerusalem heard that Samaria had received the word of God, they sent Peter and John down, go check it out, see what's happening down there, guys, make sure this is of the Lord. And when they had come down, they prayed for them that they might receive the Holy Spirit. So I hope you're getting the point here now that we're talking about when there's the coming upon of the Holy Spirit, that this is a separate and a distinct thing that happens after salvation. Now, sometimes it seems to happen coincident with salvation, and other times it seems to happen later. So I don't think there's a a position that can be made there one way or another that says it always happens sometime later. But here in the book of Acts, what we're seeing is that the Holy Spirit seemed to come upon people after they had come to faith in Christ. And they came down, they found these people who had uh, heard the gospel and, and believed, and they came and they prayed for them that they might receive the Holy Spirit, for as yet... He had fallen upon none of them. They weren't baptized by the Spirit. They had only been baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus. Then they laid hands on them and they received the Holy Spirit. 
So praise God that these men were sent down to take the ministry of the Holy Spirit to these believers in Samaria. Now in Acts 10, you know this is the story where the Lord spoke to Cornelius, a centurion, a Gentile, and he said, you know, go send down and get Peter and bring him up. He's got something to tell you. And meanwhile, while that's happening, as the Lord is speaking to Cornelius, he's also speaking to Peter in a vision on the rooftop down at Simon the Tanner's house. It's a beautiful story. And so now Peter gets there the next day. He comes up to Cornelius's house. And as he walks in, while Peter was still speaking these words, the Holy Spirit fell upon all who heard the word. Now previously, uh, in Acts chapter 8, the disciples went and they laid hands on people and that was the vehicle or the method or the means that God used to impart the Holy Spirit to them. On the day of Pentecost, he just fell upon them. In Acts 8, he said, lay hands on them and they did. Here, Peter's speaking, he's trying to explain things to them and while he's speaking, the Holy Spirit just fell upon them, upon all who heard the word. And I think that means that their hearts were so ready, they were so prepared, they were just waiting for what God had for them. And those of the circumcision who believed were astonished, as many as came with Peter, because the gift of the Holy Spirit had been poured out on the Gentiles also. Oh, here it is again. For they heard them speak with tongues and magnify God. Then Peter answered, Can anyone forbid water that these should not be baptized, who have received the Holy Spirit? just as we have. Interesting. Acts 11. Again, different group of people, different situation. Uh, He's he's now in um, Jerusalem. I'm sorry, he's before the Jerusalem council. And they're like, now Peter, what did you do? Did you give the Holy Spirit to Gentiles? I mean, is that that what happened here? Is that what we're understanding? They're, They're kind of incredulous. They're called him in on the carpet a little bit. And Peter's now defending himself for the event we just saw in Acts chapter 10. And it says, and as I began to speak, and we're told in the story here, this is really cool, right? Peter had these witnesses with him. And now he's before the council and he's got those same witnesses. He's like, come up here, guys. Remember what happened? And as I began to speak, the Holy Spirit fell upon them and as upon us as at the beginning. And then I remembered the word of the Lord. Now listen to what Peter's saying. He's remembering the word that Jesus remembered that John spoke. I remember the word of the Lord, how he said, John indeed baptized with water, but you shall be baptized with the Holy Spirit. If therefore God gave them the same gift as he gave us, not the indwelling of the Spirit, the baptism of the Spirit, when we believed on the Lord Jesus Christ, who was I that I could withstand God? And when they heard these things, they became silent and they glorified God saying, then God has also granted Gentiles repentance. Beautiful picture here of what the Holy Spirit's doing. Acts 13. Paul and Barnabas are now being sent out by the church in Antioch. And the word of the Lord is being spread throughout the whole region. And as they are going and they're preaching and doing these things, verse 52, and the disciples were filled with joy and with the Holy Spirit. So again, the filling of the Spirit coming upon the disciples. Acts 19, now Peter, excuse me, Paul had now been traveling and he comes to the city of Ephesus for the first time. He walks into this city and he finds a group of believers. 
And it happened while Apollos was at Corinth that Paul, having passed through the upper regions, came to Ephesus and finding some disciples, he said to them, did you receive the Holy Spirit when you believed? So they said to him, we have sought not so much as heard whether there is a Holy Spirit. And he said to them, and to what then were you baptized? So they said, and to John's baptism, the baptism of repentance. And that's what Paul said. John indeed baptized with a baptism of repentance, saying to the people that they should believe on him who would come after him, that is on Christ Jesus. And when they heard this, they were baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus because Paul made it clear to them, Jesus did come. He did come. And now it's time for you to receive the fullness of his gift, which is the Holy Spirit. And when Paul had laid hands on them, the Holy Spirit came upon them and they spoke with tongues and prophesied. So just continuing to look here at how the Lord came upon them. So that's sort of all that we have time for this morning. But in closing, the point here is this, and I hope I've made the point clear. And if I haven't, then we can talk further. But I believe the gift of the Holy Spirit, what we call the baptism of the Holy Spirit, is for today. I don't see anything in Scripture that says that it has, that it has ceased or that it is not indeed for us. In fact, as I look at the Scriptures that we've looked at, the para, the coming alongside, and the end, the coming to indwell within us, I think this is where the church at large, the church as a whole, has stopped. It's like we've stopped short because, again, in my opinion, the excesses and the poor examples have, in some measure, ruined it for us because we've looked at these things and said, if that's what it is, I don't want any part of it. And in a sense, it's right to say that because a lot of the excesses, not all of them, but a lot of them have not been according to Scripture. And well-meaning believers who have misunderstood how the Holy Spirit works, again, in my opinion, have allowed things to happen that have gone outside and beyond the bounds of Scripture. And because of that, I've seen a lot of believers kind of shrug off the baptism and the power of the Holy Spirit because of the misunderstanding of those excesses that we've seen. But I believe the Lord would say to us today, if you can receive this, that I think Satan has done a number on the church and he's sowed discord among the brethren and he has allowed false, false doctrine to creep in and he's ruined for the church something that he intended for good, something that he intended as a blessing upon his church. And as we look at the examples in Scripture of the manifestations of the Spirit and the Spirit coming upon the disciples on the day of Pentecost, then them being filled over and continually with the Holy Spirit, I would say to you what the Scriptures say exactly. It's not weird. It's not bizarre. It's not some strange thing. And, and as we go through the gifts of the Holy Spirit, hopefully this will become even clearer to us. But I was thinking of Jesus' words where he said, they do not put new wine into old wineskins or else the wineskins break and the wine is spilled and the wineskins are ruined, but they put new wine into new wineskins and both are preserved. I think the gift of the Holy Spirit to the church, not the indwelling, but the filling, is the new wines into new wineskins. 
In Acts 3, speaking of the gospel as it was preached on that day to those people, there's this beautiful verse that I think applies to this situation. Repent therefore and be converted that your sins may be blotted out so that times of refreshing may come from the presence of the Lord. I think perhaps on behalf of a lot of us in the church, and I know that I came to this point in my life when I had studied this and realized all of this, that I had to come to a point of repentance and just saying, you know, it's sort of like that song that we sing sometimes by Matt Redmond, I'm sorry, Lord, for the thing I've made it, the heart of worship. And sometimes we've allowed our fear of the Holy Spirit or our misunderstanding of Scripture, or worse, what we've seen happen out in the church at large to, to determine our view of Scripture. And our view of Scripture, hopefully, prayerfully, should come from Scripture, not from what we see from other people's experiences. Listen, Scripture dictates our experiences. Our experiences do not dictate Scripture. And so the Word of God must govern our practice. The Word of God is the final matter and all final authority in all matters pertaining to life and godliness. And remember again, just to reemphasize this in Luke eleven thirteen. if you then being evil know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your heavenly Father give the Holy Spirit to those who ask him? I spent way too many years of my Christian life being frustrated, living a Romans 7 experience. If you don't know what that means, go read it. But it's where Paul says, the very things I want to do, I don't do, and the things I don't want to do, I do. O wretched man that I am, who will deliver me from this body of sin and death? But thanks be to the Lord Jesus Christ, who would deliver him. And then in the, the transition into Romans 8, Romans 8, especially the first half of Romans 8, is about life in the Spirit. And we're going we're gonna to get to that when we talk about the leading of the Spirit and how God works with us. But that picture, that contrast between Romans 7, the life of the flesh and trying to do it on our own and trying to live according to rules and all that stuff. Listen, sometimes we just need to put that stuff behind us and that's what I had to do. I had to put my upbringing behind me and I had to put my misunderstandings behind me and I had to put my, my misunderstandings of, uh, of our Pentecostal and charismatic brothers and sisters out there and say, Lord, that's, that's your problem. It's not my problem. My call is to do what you've said, is to allow you to come upon me and to allow you to give me that power to be your witnesses and to allow you to freely give me the gifts that you want to give me and embrace those gifts and walk in them. And when we learn to walk in the power and the fullness of the Spirit, there is newfound freedom in our life in Christ. Prayer is no longer drudgery. Prayer becomes a joy you'll realize we don't have to live according to the calendar and feel guilty because we didn't have our quiet time with the Lord at 6 a.m. in the morning. We just learn to pray without ceasing and walk throughout the day being with the Lord. It's like the old hymn says, he walks with me and talks with me along life's narrow way. You see, it's a conversation with God that never stops. It's the power of his presence with us. It's our awareness of his presence. It's our praying when we have time to pray and reading when we have time to read and seeking the face of the Lord when we have time to do that. But then something happens that we we become transformed and then we realize, you know, I don't want to just do it when I have time, Lord. I want to make this a priority. And God begins to change us. And he begins to make us into the new kinds of people that he wants us to be. Behold, old old things have passed passed away. All things are made new. And the realities of what Paul said to the Philippians... 
uh, I've left the old things behind and I'm looking toward the new things that God has for me in Christ. How much more will the Heavenly Father give the gift of the Holy Spirit to those who ask Him? So let me ask you today as we come to a close and we come to the table of the Lord, would you ask Him? As much as I would implore an unbeliever to believe in Christ and to trust Him and to have everlasting life and to have forgiveness, I would implore a believer with as much vigor and zeal to say, if you've never experienced the coming upon of the Holy Spirit, and I can't tell you what that's like. Everybody has a different experience. R.A. Torrey described in his book that he was alone with the Lord, and he described his experience of just waves of liquid love. That's the way he described it. And it's just the Spirit coming upon you. And yes, it could be that you speak in a tongue. Yes, it could be any number of things. But it's going to be according to the Scriptures. It's not going to be weird. But it will be intimate. It will be personal. And it will be in many respects God confirming Himself to you and to me. And it's something that He loves to do. It's a gift He loves to give His children. So if you're a believer today and you have the indwelling of the Spirit, praise God, but if you've never had the coming upon of the Holy Spirit, as we worship the Lord coming to the table, then at the end we're going to have a song or two just to wait upon the Lord. Just ask the Lord to come and to touch us and to baptize us and to fill us. And uh, Pastor John and Pastor Mitch are going to come up and they're going to be here to pray with you and I'll be here after the service to pray with you and you know, it doesn't have to come through the laying on of somebody's hands. I mean, you can pray and wait on the Lord and he'll speak to you. Or if you want someone to, to, to touch you and lay hands, then, you know, God's faithful and he does these kinds of things. He's, he's so gracious with us. So as we wait on the Lord for a few moments and then transition over into the time of uh, potluck and fellowship, just as the Lord leads, wait, cry out to him, maybe you're uncomfortable doing it here, maybe you want to wait later when you get home, then, then do that. Then wait till later when you get home, get alone with the Lord and ask him, Lord, would you come upon me? Would you speak to me? Would you baptize me? It's not weird. It's good. Every good and perfect gift comes down from the Father above. Lord, thank you for your word this morning. Thank you for your faithfulness to us. God, we bless you, we honor you, and we thank you. Lord, as we come to the table and as we wait upon you for just a couple of minutes now, I pray that my brothers and sisters here would just cry out in their hearts to you and say, Lord, would you come upon me? Would you give me the fullness of the Spirit? And, and Lord, even if we're unsure, then just confirm it. Lord, you said in Romans 8, as we read last week, that you bear witness with our spirit that we are your children. And Lord, maybe some of us today, we just suffer from a lack of confidence and we suffer from poor self-esteem and all these things. Lord, would you bring healing today by the power of your spirit? You said you would do these things for us. Lord, change us, transform us. Lord, some of us have hurts and pain that we've not been able to get help with and we've tried. Lord, today would you touch us in that deepest part of our heart and would you bring that healing? And as the, the pastors come up, Lord, and they are here to serve you and 
to serve your people. Use them as your vessels just to bring a word, to bring hope, to bring healing, to bring restoration, to bring forgiveness, to bring that power to live as the way that you desire that we, your disciples, your sons and daughters would live. In Jesus' name, amen.